Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, our special guest speaker. Glad to have you this morning. I see a lot of visitors. If you're uh, from town and visiting us, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're a seasonal guest, welcome as well. We're glad you chose this, to uh, worship with us this morning. My name is Chris Snyder. I'm not the, the normal preacher, the, the senior pastor here. I'm a youth pastor. And today is kind of our camp Sunday. So we had Eric from camp. Eric, thank you for coming up from camp, by the way. Eric came up and he's kind of done a Sunday school with our teens, telling about camp and promoting it. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of camp and especially Hidden Acres. So uh, children, you can go to Children's Church, by the way. Head on out. I love seeing them skip around. So uh, this morning is kind of like our camp Sunday. We also, before the meal, before the, the service and after the service, we're doing a camp meal. If you guys want to come, it's a fundraiser for scholarships for our campers. A scholarship camp meal. So um, I got to tell you real quick before we jump in, camp has a very special place in my heart. Camp is a place where as a young Christian, I, I got, uh, I, I did business. I, I got to know Jesus later in high school, my junior year. So I did not grow up in a church. A lot of growth, discipleship happened when I went to camp, a lot of leadership training. And so for me, I really value camp and camp ministries. Now, if you were to ask me of the top 100, you know, memories I have, fond memories, camp has many of those. Many, many of my greatest memories have to do with Hidden Acres or this one camp called Pine Lake that I was at. Also, one of my saddest memories is linked with camp. One of my saddest memories. Uh, as a young man, I was about 23 um, I had done my first summer working at a camp, and because I was kind of young and close to the age of the high schoolers, I connected really well with a lot of the juniors and seniors. And uh, I was from Iowa City at the time. That's where I grew up. And there was a gal that was a camper from Iowa City as well, but went to a different church in Iowa City. And I told her, her name was Shannon. I said, Shan Shan uh, Shannon, I'm going to come and go to church with you sometime. It'd be fun to praise with you and worship you and meet your family. I'm going to come to church sometime, and it'd be great to see you. This is over the summer. Fall comes and winter comes. And one day I opened up the newspaper, the Iowa City Press Citizen, and there was a picture of Shannon uh, in there, and it was an obituary. Shannon had died in a car accident in the, small, uh, the country roads around Iowa City. She uh, was with uh, another guy that was a, uh, um, a young driver, and they, they crashed, and she passed away. Um, so what was so hard was I actually went and got a lot of these teens from camp that were friends of hers and, and friends of mine, even though there's a few years between us. And we went there, and I remember catching the irony that I, I promised Shannon I'd come and see her at church, and I'd worship and get to meet her family. And uh, I, at a young age, I was put in a position. I'd had family members, grandparents, uh, some elderly people in my life that have passed away and worked through that. This was really the first time I was in a position where a young person had passed away, and I was kind of shepherding some other young people. So I share that with you to say, guys, we, we have to deal with pain. We have to deal with hardships. I'm the type when it comes to things in the Bible that when we come across and we hit them head on, we look them in the eyes and we say, God, what does your word say about that? And so we're going to do that this morning. We're just going to look at the book of Job and see some ideas about how to, like why pain happens, some of the reasons why, and how to handle that pain. Uh, if I was to go through this room right here, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if I was to ask, if I was to ask you to raise your hand if you've had major pain in your life, like, like level 8, 9, or 10, pain, hurt, brokenness, 
a lot of you in this room would say, yes, we've experienced that. You might raise both hands. You might say many times we've had high level, as, as deep as it can cut, pain. Uh, some of you, I could ask, are you going through it right now? I mean, I can just tell by the faces and the, the mood right now. Some of you are like, yep, we're in it right now. In fact, after the first service, you wouldn't believe how many people came up and said, it's today, it's right now. If you wouldn't raise your hand because you've been through something or you're going through something, I could also ask, how many of you expect you probably will go through an eight, nine, or 10? And every hand in this room could go up because pain does not discriminate. It hits us all. It hits us all. So we're going to look at that today. We are going to be in the book of Job. And basically, I'll just kind of tell you how this is going to go. We're going to walk through the first chapter of Job. I'm going to talk about some points. And then we're going to get to the last chapter of Job. So we're, Job. So we're looking at the bookends. So if you would... Please turn to Job. If you're in the, the Pew Bible, it's page uh, 417. If you have your own Bible, just open to the middle. You're probably in Psalms, and you go back one book. I'm going to pray us in to the Word, and then we'll get started. Lord, um, we just acknowledge the pain happens. It has, it, it, it does, and it will. <clears throat> we thank you that we're not left to get through this alone, but that you teach us about it, you help us through it, you put people in our lives to deal with it. Lord, we thank you that we're not just left to try to figure it out on our own. As we look at Job, what an example of how to roll with life's toughest punches. Please speak this morning. Please comfort and heal this morning. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different, and it came up by way of a technical issue that I had. Um, Kurt, a lot of times, has himself on the screen, and, and it kind of puts up the, the screens every now and then of what we're looking at. I couldn't get that to work this week. So I'm going to preach my favorite way. This is how I do the Wednesday nights. This is how I used to preach at my last church. I'm just going to probably have something up there on the screen most of the time. So you can look at me if you want to see me. You can look at the screen if you want to see the text. I expect many of you will be looking at the screen, and that doesn't hurt my feelings, okay? With that said, let's get to Job. I'm going to show you a map up there, if you could, team in the back. Who was Job? Job was from us. Where was us? Uz was in the Middle East, probably Jordan is our best guess, okay? Remember, Israel's on the Mediterranean Sea right there, and Jordan is across the Jordan River is the, the country of Jordan today. That's probably where Job was from, this town of Uz in that region. He probably lived around 2000 BC. He would have been alive at the same time as Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham from, from uh, Genesis, okay? So that's who we're looking at, when we're looking at today. And those of you that know me have heard me preach, you know, I like to do this. I like to put a pin in history, in a timeline, and I like to put a pin on the earth so we know this really happened. This really happened, okay? Next slide, I'm going to give you a quick outline of the book of Job. Job chapters 1 and 2 is the account of Job losing his wealth, children, and his health. Chapters 3 through 37 are Job's friends coming to Job and trying to figure out, Job, what did you do that this happened to you. Their whole premise is, you must have done something really bad for this to have happened to you. And they spent 35 chapters thinking that way, and they weren't correct. They were not right. 38 through 41, chapters 38 through 41, is God questioning Job. And, and, and real quick, that is the most humbling part of Scripture for me. If I'm ever wrestling with pride, I go to Job 38 through 41, where God questions with... with um, uh, just obvious questions, Job, to point out two things to Job, okay? He, he's saying, Job 1, I know what I am doing. Job, I've got this. I'm in control. He's pointing out his own sovereignty to Job. Two, he's pointing out, Job, you have a limited perspective. You see this much. 
I see it all. You know this far ahead. I know it all. Okay, so he's showing Job, I got this, and he's showing Job, Job, you don't got this. And then you get to Job 42 where he's restored. And guys, we're going to get around to that. We're going to come full circle at the end of the sermon today, and we're going to look at Job 42. We'll walk through that, okay? So with that said, let's go to Job 1. I'm just going to read it through. Those of you that know my style, I like to read it, stop, kind of explain some stuff, okay? So Job 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. And when it says the greatest of all the people in the East, it might mean he was a great man. We see that up above. It's probably just saying he was super wealthy. Okay, But let me pick this apart real quick. Uh, Job... That man was blameless. You see that? So if you're the type that fills in the blanks on your outline, that first blank is Job was described as righteous. Righteous. Can I just tell you something? I have thought before, it would be so, well, I'm going to tell you something stupid first, actually. I I didn't do this with first service, but I got to tell you, if I ever have a a friend that opens a restaurant, I'll just say that, I've always had like a bucket list idea that I wanted a food named after me, Okay. Just something to think about, Diane. A friend that has a restaurant. I always thought it'd be neat to have the, the Niter burger or whatever, right? Uh, something that gives you a really bad indigestion. It's the all-nighter. Something. I'll, I'll talk to you later. But, but I always thought that'd be funny. But, but my real thing, aside from having a, something on the menu, wouldn't it be cool to have your name in the Bible? Like, best-selling book, most important book of all time. And it, like, it wouldn't be cool if your name was like Cain and you killed your brother. That wouldn't be good, right? You're like, just put, a- just put Abel's brother. It wouldn't be good if it was like Judas Iscariot. You just want to put like that, that other disciple, right? But if you did something even decent, th- how cool, Tucker, would that be to have like, and there was Tucker Nickel, right? In the Bible. Can I just tell you, of all the people that have their name in the Bible, this is a pretty good description afterwards. Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So the first thing we see is Job is righteous. The second thing, they're born to him seven sons and three daughters. In that culture, that was a sign of blessing. If you had children, many children, that was a sign of blessing. Today's day, in our house... That's a sign of chaos, okay? I, I got four sons. It's, it's, it's blessing. Y'all are blessings. With a little bit of chaos sprinkled in there. Uh, this is telling us Job was blessed. He had, especially those sons to carry on the name. Nothing against the daughters, nothing bad. But, but sons were a sign of you're going to pass on your lineage. So he was blessed. And the next thing we see, sometimes we three, you ever do this? You read through scripture and you're like, God, like you are going into the weeds on the details, right? Like he gives us this inventory of what Job owned, but the point in that is to show us Job was very, very wealthy. He had a lot, okay? So Job is righteous, blessed, and wealthy, and we're going to keep going here. Verse 4 and 5, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. In other words, they kind of take turns hosting the Sunday football party, right? You're with me? They take turns and kind of float around when they get together where? And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts 
thus Job did it continually. A couple things about that. Number one, um, when you see that he would rise early in the morning and do the burnt offerings, this is before the cross, this is before Israel was around and the, the temple. So this was how Job took care of sin problems is, is they would do a sacrifice. And I want to point this out. Job was a good dad. Because Job didn't just get, care about his kids' health and well-being. He cared about their walk with his God. And apparently their walk with their God. He really cared about how they were doing with God. Second thing you see there is um, he would, uh, he would uh, care about them cursing God. He, he, that, do you see that term there? I will put it up here. It may be that they have cursed God. And, and I want you to kind of remember that term. Because he really didn't want them turning on God or getting mad at God or blaming God. He's like, I want them worshiping God. Put that in the back burner, okay? We're going to come back to that later. Cursed God is a big deal to him. That's going to come in just a second. So now we're going to switch gears, guys. Because verses 6 through 8, uh, verses 1 through 5 told us about Job. It's a setup. And now verses 6 through 8, it changes gears. And this is a heavenly conversation that took place, okay? Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's talking about angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So Satan is a fallen angel. He's come to this meeting, and he says, uh, sorry, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Again, not a bad description if your name's Job. He's a good guy, a righteous man. Verse 7 through 10, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And I'm going to interpret this for you. I got it up here. But basically Satan's point is this. Job only loves you because you spoil him. You've protected him, you've guarded him, you've blessed him, and that's what... In fact, God, he loves his lifestyle. He doesn't love you as his Lord. That's the point Satan is building. Take it away and see what happens. Verse 11 and 12 is what Satan says. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will what? He'll curse you. He's going to turn on you. He's going to blame you. He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. In other words, you can go for it. I'll let you. You don't touch him. Now in chapter 2, he, he says you can't take his life, but he inflicts terrible pain on Job. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verses 13 through 17, I am going to paraphrase. It's one day in Job's life, and it's like there's a knock at the door. And he opens it, and it's one of his servants. And he says, your oxen and your donkeys, all of them, have been stolen. They killed all the servants. I was the only one that got away. And as he's saying that, it's like there's a knock at the door, and Job opens that again. And it's another servant, and he says, all of your servants, uh, I'm sorry, all, fire came down from the heavens, and all of your sheep and all of your servants have died. I'm the only one that, that made it out alive. All of them. And as he's talking to Job, chapter 17, another servant knocks at the door and he says, all of your camels have been stolen. All the servants overseeing the camels have been killed. I'm the only one to make it out alive. And now you're thinking, Job, don't answer the door. Like, this is not a good day. And we're going to get back in at verse 18. While he was yet speaking, that servant, there came another and he said, your sons and daughters 
were eating and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house. They were having one of their get-togethers. And behold, this great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of that house, and it fell upon those young people, and they're dead. Job, I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And this, I'm sure every parent in here can understand, was the one that hurt a million times worse than some livestock. I want to remind you, verse 5, Job was concerned about his kids cursing God. Don't turn on God, kids. In verse 11, Satan tells God, he's spoiled, take it away, and he'll curse you. We're going to go to verse 20, and it says, Then Job rose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. That seems weird. That seems kind of different. We don't do that today. But that, in their culture, was a sign of just losing it, extreme brokenness. That's, 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 just, that's calling into work and saying, I'm going to have to have three months off. This, this took me out. Are you with me? Then Job rose, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. And at this point, I imagine Satan and his demons kind of leaning in to see here it comes. We called it. And he worshiped. Verse 21, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge, charge God with wrong. He set me and you, you and I, an example of how we deal with pain purposes. We're going to get into these three purposes. Purpose number one, pain can lead to worship. And instead of thinking of worship like up here, and this is certainly a type of worship, what we're talking about is a type of worship that from your gut says, God, it's all been taken away. God, I'm so broken, but God, I love you. I will not curse you. I will not blame you. I will keep following you. Okay? That's the type of worship we're talking about. Now, we can glorify God in the way we handle and the way we respond to hardships. In fact, a lot of you, the way you handle hardships, your coworkers that don't know Jesus see that and they see something. It's like testimony, okay? It's one thing to glorify God, to say he's great, to praise him after you've won the lottery, after your team won the Super Bowl, after your kid is a valedictorian. It's another, the day that you tear your ACL and are out for the season. It's another on the day when the person you thought you were gonna marry breaks up on you or your spouse breaks your heart, or your mother tells you she has cancer. It's, it's different on those days, but it is still worship. It might be the most pure and beautiful kind of worship. Uh, about 10 years ago, I think it was 10 years this year, I'm at a church in Esterville, and I'm working with a youth group, I'm working with college students. And one of our leaders was a college student who helped with youth groups. So what Nate Hibma, what Paul does, they were youth leaders for us. Carrie uh, was, Carrie was his name. And Carrie was also in the college ministry, and he was a leader there. Um, I get a call at 6 o'clock in the morning one, one day, and it's my senior pastor. And he says, Chris, do you have Carrington Baker's parents' contact information? And I said, I, I don't. What's going on? And he says, he's passed away. He fell over dead. He was working at GKN, a factory in Esterville, while he was going to school. And he just had a heart attack and was gone one night. Nobody saw it coming. He was perfectly healthy. All I can tell you is, for the youth, it was like a bomb went off. And now, God worked in really cool ways. Like, a lot of them stepped up in their relationship with God from this. But it hurt so bad. It was the first time they'd lost a peer. The college students, it rocked their world. First time they'd seen a peer die. 
Um, but God used it in amazing ways. I'm going to share two with you. One, and, and moms, I can't imagine this. Dads, I can't imagine this. But when that happened, my pastor, I was out of town when it happened, got a hold of Val Baker, Carrington's mom. And she came up and she goes to the hospital where her son is laying on a table, dead. They never got his heart going again. Dead. And she comes in to identify him. And as she comes out, the waiting room was filled with 20 to 25 college students who are beside themselves crying. And Val Baker comes out and ministers to them. Guys, God's still good. God's got this. God will use it. Do you understand what kind of worship that is? Um, fast forward about a week and we're in Eagle Grove. That's where Carrington was from. I gave a little bit of the message and then his senior pastor did most of the message and then we're worshiping and we're singing the song many of you are familiar with, Blessed Be Your Name, which is based on this verse, this response of Job. Blessed be your name, you give and take away. And I'm weeping and I'm crying and I'm singing and I'm praising and it, it I didn't know this, but it occurred to me as I'm looking, I'm looking on the screen and then right under the screen I see one of the guys in the worship team is Preston Baker, Carrington's younger brother. He was on the youth worship team. He was on the Sunday morning worship team. And he's up there literally leading me and the congregation in worship as he praises God at his young brothers, his older brother, but young brother, his funeral. This is the type of worship I'm talking about. God sometimes through our pain, and it doesn't just have to be death, but when we worship him, that is deep, strong worship. Point two, purpose two. Pain can be a form of discipline. I want to be really clear here. That was not the case with Job. Job had not done something wrong like his friends thought, but sometimes since we're talking about it, pain can be a reason, okay? Um, we're going one direction, and God wants us, remember repent literally means to, to turn around about face and go the other direction. Sometimes discipline is what God uses. Uh, sometimes it's that we've got an idol that we're just holding on to. Sometimes it's a relationship that we can't let go of. Sometimes it's something just it owns us, we don't own it. And sometimes God uses discipline to turn us around. That's, that's another reason that God sometimes does this. I want to read to you Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12. Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do you understand this father is teaching his son? You will be disciplined by the Lord. Don't get mad at him for it. Don't despise it. And do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son delights in. He gives him this. He says, look, you're gonna, if you're walking with God, you're gonna be disciplined sometimes. Don't get mad about it. Be thankful. Because why does God do that? Because he loves you. He loves you enough to do that. And he treats you like a son. Like I would discipline you, he's disciplined you. Um, I could give you, and those of you that know me know this, I could give you a thousand examples of when I've been doing something wrong and God has disciplined me. Sometimes it's very, few times I get it real quick and I turn, sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not sure it's you, God. No, I'm not sure it's, okay, God, it really hurts, but I'm not sure it's you, God, okay? A million times. But instead of telling you about one of my failures, I want to tell you how it's done right, okay? A few years ago, I'm speaking at a camp in Wisconsin to junior hires. And sometimes when I speak at camps, I just go and Bridget stays back with the boys. But we're kind of at the stage in life where they love going to camps, they love being at camp, and so my family came with me. And on the, the Saturday night, I'm doing what I normally do at camps on Saturday night. I give the gospel presentation. I explain how to be a Christian. 
And then I talk about if any of you have, you are Christians, but you've kind of wandered away and you're ready to come back if you want to recommit to him. And I gave that talk, I gave that message and some gave their lives to the Lord, some recommitted. And afterwards, I walked to the back with my family and we're doing the last worship song. And my son, Austin, a lot of you know Austin, my second oldest, he walked up to me and he just said, Dad, I'm in a good spot with Jesus right now. But I've heard you share this message enough that there's probably a point in my life where I'm going to be tempted to stray. I just, I hear you say it and, and the best of the best do. And he goes, Dad, if I ever do that, will you, will you come after me? Will you pull me back? And I just hugged him. And I said, yes, I will. And thank you for asking for that. That's what this verse is getting at. God, if he, he loves you like a dad. He disciplines you because he loves you. Embrace that. Want that. Let me keep going with the third uh, purpose here. Pain often leads to maturity. You show me anybody that teaches a Bible study, anybody that teaches on marriage, anybody that teaches on, on, on anything, and you ask them, have you been through trials? I can almost guarantee you they've got a big fat yes. Yes. Pain often leads to maturity. James chapter 1. Do you see it on the board? Do you see it on the screen? Before I read this, let me remind you, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Same mother. This is Joseph's son. Joseph was not there when Jesus was put on the cross. Most commentators, most scholars believe Joseph died when James and, jo and Jesus were young. Joseph probably died. James probably knows what it's like to lose a father at a young age. Don't forget, Jesus' cousin John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. That was James' cousin. Don't forget, James' brother Jesus was murdered. Murdered. Crucified. So can I just remind you, James is not writing this just after a great, glorious, great year, great season. He's writing it as all this has happened and many of his friends are being persecuted and killed because they're trying to snuff out Christianity. That's the context. You ready? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I do not ever want you to hear this verse and think he says, slap on a smile, act like it's okay, and push through. He's not saying, be phony. He's also not saying, hey, try to be happy even though life totally stinks right now. What he's saying is, can you find joy? Can you see the silver lining that through this crappy situation, God is going to mature and complete you. He's going after that, okay? So don't miss that, please. Now, we're going to fast forward to Job 42. Would you turn there with me? Job 42. This is the last chapter of the book of Job. Verse 1. I hear you turn and I'll wait. Job 42, verse 1. Job has just been asked several rhetorical questions by God. I mean like dozens of them. He's been humbled and he gets the point. And so Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. I, I get it, God. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. 
hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. And then verse five, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse five, don't miss, with, don't miss what God did here. Okay? Satan says to God, hey, this guy's gonna curse you. And God says, hey, why don't you take Job, right, Job? Now, Job was described as a pretty righteous guy, right? So Satan's plan was, I'm going to take this righteous guy, and I'm going to turn him against God. Watch how God's plan works out. Job says this to God. Okay, here's where I was at, God. My ears had heard about you, and I definitely had heard about you. I was definitely living for you, but now I've seen you face to face. Do you get that the plan of Satan couldn't have gone worse? Job has hit another gear in his relationship with God. Is that kind of how our God works? Amen? That's God. That's God. That's why we can consider it pure joy. Because God's in the business of doing things like this. Let me show you this. God's, uh, Job's growth from pain. Job 1.1. He's blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job 42.5. All of a sudden he's saying, God, you took me to places we've never been. What's that road he was on? pain, extreme pain. But God did it. He took him to another level with him. Takeaway number one. Christians, I'm sorry to tell you this. Takeaway number one, nobody gets a pass. Okay? When you become a Christian, when I was a junior in high school, put my life uh, in, in the Lord's hands, gave my life to the Lord, started following him. It did not mean I would have no more struggles or trials. You know what it meant? The same storm that hits everyone that's around me, hits me. I just got a different foundation. Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's just preached probably the greatest message ever preached by the greatest teacher ever preached. And he ends with this little nugget. He says, here's the deal. There's two builders, a wise and a foolish builder. A wise and a foolish builder. And he says, the storm came and it hit both houses. It didn't go around and zig and zag. It hit them both. But one was built on sand and one was built on rock. And the one built on rock stood and then he says, these words of mine, these teachings, this sermon I just been wrapping up, that's your foundation. Okay? So just realize that. We don't get a pass as Christians. We just get a way through it. Okay? We're not going it alone. Let me keep going here. Takeaway number two. We don't always get to know all the details. I have found this out in the last couple of years. Okay, Bridget knew it for a long time. I just found it out. I'm kind of a control freak. I didn't, right, Ryan? Yeah, a little bit. Control freak. A little bit of, oh, Paul Shuddy. Okay? That was good. That was really good. So, so uh, thank you. I'm kind of a control freak. So I'm like, this is me. I'm being real with you, Melissa. Okay, this is me. I'm like, okay, God, I'll go through the trial. You just got to tell me every reason why it's happening and what the good fruit from it is going to be. And God isn't always the one that tells us. Some of you can connect with this. You've been through trials, and God might have blessed you by showing you as you were going through or shortly after the end game. Some of you, it was a decade, two, three decades later, and God showed you, this is why I let that happen. This is why that happened. Some of you are like Job. Do you understand Job never had insight into that heavenly conversation between God and Satan? Job went through everything without knowing what you and I know about chapters one and two, that that happened, okay? So never miss that. Got that? Uh, Takeaway number three. We don't know how many times we've been spared. Some of you, you have a lot of scars. I have a lot of scars, Many of them self-inflicted. Many of them, I'm reaping what I sowed. 
But some of you have scars. It shouldn't happen to you. It was unfair. It was wrong. It hurt. But listen, you don't know how many things God has spared you from that you might not ever find out about until you get to heaven. You might, you might get to heaven and he might just show you you hit one of about 300 things or five of about 1,000. We don't know how many times he's protected us. I will tell you a quick story. I have a friend named Gary Haney. Gary passed away. Gary was a Christian. He's with Jesus right now. I'm so jealous. But Gary Haney was a, a man in his, uh, this is in his 60s. It was about five, no, seven or eight years ago. Gary's going from Esterville to Spirit Lake. And he gets to the Jackson Y or the Jackson T where it turns to 71 and goes north. It was one of those really foggy days that we get in the, in the uh, I think it's this early summertime. As he's going 55 and has every right to be going 55, he sees a semi-truck has blown through that stop sign at the, at the outdoor movie theater and has come into his lane. It just didn't even see the stop sign. And until it hit the first rumble strip, it didn't even start slowing down. And Gary slammed on his brakes and he T-boned the semi. It totaled his truck. He broke a pinky finger in all of it. And I was talking to Gary Haney about a week after this happened. Now, Gary is a super analytical guy. I'm more of an emotional person. He's super analytical. And Gary goes, Chris, I was thinking about this. And he goes, I actually did the math on this. He goes, I figured out how fast I was going, how far back on the semi I hit the semi. And he goes, if I had been eight-tenths of a second, farther along, farther west on Highway 9, I would not have T-boned that semi. It would have T-boned me. And I wouldn't be telling you this story. Okay? Gary had the insight, the maturity, the wisdom to see one of those times he'd been spared. There are so many that we don't even know about. Takeaway number four, you guys. We have a God who helps get us through. And that makes all the difference. We have a God who helps get us through. Uh, I'm going to put a picture up here. This is my wife, Bridget, and three of my sons. Okay, so this is Bridget right after she gave birth to Zach. Zach is the little bitty baby there, the newborn. Bridget's smiling at the camera. My son, Ryan, is holding Zach. And Ryan is like, this is so cool. I'm holding a little baby, a little life. How cool. My other son, Austin, is holding a straw. And he was equally impressed. How cool is this? This is a straw. Whoa, blows my mind, okay? So that's this picture. You fast forward about 15 seconds. Bridget is no longer smiling. Austin has lost interest in the straw. And he's like, what's going on over here? And Ryan has found what I call little face buttons on Zach. And he's pushing on his eyeballs, okay? Um, <laughs> so, so Bridget's like, oh no, oh no. So, so this is a picture from the day Zach was born. Okay. Now, you know, if somebody asks you greatest days of your life, at least I think as a husband and a dad, I'm supposed to say, I think they're, they are, day I was married and, and the four days my sons were born. Right. And then I mean that also one of the hardest days of my life was the day Zach was born because Zach, um, later in the evening, we realized when he would breathe, his chest didn't expand upward. It was sinking in. In other words, he was gasping for breath. His lungs were not expanding like they were supposed to. His oxygen levels were low, and they put him on a, the uh, helicopter and life-lighted him over to Sioux Falls to the NICU unit. And those of you that know me as a control freak know that I shoot straight, and I ask for straight shooting. And when we got to Sioux Falls, I asked the doctor. I said, I just don't hold back. What are his odds? Just tell me. And again, all this is in the context of faith and prayer, you know, but I said, just what are the odds? And she said, 
we can't put odds on this. It just, it, it's up to him is what she said. She said, if he's a fighter, he'll probably make it. Zach's a fighter, right? <laughs> Those of you who know Zach, he's a fighter. Uh, he made it. But can I just tell you, can I just tell you this? Whether that story ends sad or happy, because some of you have a similar story, but a sad ending. And I, I know you, and I love you, and I hurt with you. Whether that has a, a happy or a sad ending, I just, I want to tell you, I went through a stage, it was probably two or three days. I don't even know if that's long enough to be a stage. But two or three days where I was calling out to God, and I was like, man, God, like, why me? Why me? And, and I, I, if you go through that, I get it. I get it. Why me? And I don't say this a ton. Those of you that know me a long time, you know I don't say God speaks to me every day. I don't say, but I do listen to God every day, and he shows me things. And on this day, it wasn't an audible word, but I remember, like, God showed me, like, it's like a Google Maps view from above of my house and my neighborhood. And it was as if God spoke to me and said, Chris, if that's your house, 602, who in your neighborhood has a church that loves them and can help them through a hard time? Chris, look at this bird's eye view of your neighborhood. Who there knows the Bible pretty well and can sort through hardships? Okay, God, I get it. Chris, who on your block has the Holy Spirit in them? help them through hard times. Okay, God, I hear you. Chris, who has this great group of friends to, to be there for you and comfort you and walk you through and pray for you? A support system. And it just changed everything for me to the point where I realized, wow, God, you know, um, I'm not alone in this. And if, if it honestly changed it to where I, now I think when trials happen, I'm like, why wouldn't it be me? Like, uh, like of, of my neighborhood, God has put things in place for me to endure to get through some of these things. So it changed my perspective. I want to put a verse up here. And this is my opinion, but I think this is the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, real quick, if you're an athlete, I know we got some athletes in the room. I come this way, right? Um, if it, Matt Nickel, I'm talking to you. Uh, if you're an athlete, <clears throat> if you've ever used this verse, sweet. Praise God, give God the glory. And maybe this verse, you know, we want it. We knew we could do it. God's with us. It's cool. But, but in the context, Paul writes this. If you read Philippians and especially chapter four, saying, boy, I have been through as tough as it gets and God's gotten me through it and he'll get me through what else comes. So Paul is saying in context, I can do all things. I can endure. I can make it through all things because Christ has given me strength. And, and I just challenge you, if you're going through or find yourself going through these hardships, Cling to this verse in its truest context. Look up your small group, friends. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Look up your church family. Get in the word, get in prayer. Are you with me, church? Takeaway five. I would like to ask you for a favor. Would you circle, if, if you got your outline, circle five and six, because these are the two that you want to hold on to when you're going through these trials, five and six. A lot of times when somebody tells me about Job, they get it wrong. And that, that's okay, but a lot of times people remember Job like this. Job was a really good guy, and God and Satan were talking, and Satan came to God and said, hey, let me test Job. A lot of people remember that way, that Satan initiated the test of Job. But when you read Job chapter 1, don't forget, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, the Lord said to Satan. Who made the first move here? God. God did. 
takeaway point number five is God is in control. And God had this under control. Now, I just caught this for the first time in my reading of it this time. Every time I read Job, something else comes up. But remember I told you Abraham was a contemporary of Job? He's alive. Isn't it interesting? God didn't say Abraham. You know, when I think of Abraham, Abraham was a godly man, great man, can't wait to meet him in heaven. But when, when, when God took a long time to solve Abraham's problems or the promises, Abraham kind of had a plan B. Remember this with Hagar and Ishmael? Are you with me? He had a plan B that he kind of implemented sometimes. Abraham sometimes would find himself in a pickle and might just tell a little white lie. That's not my wife, it's my sister. Right? Can I just tell you, if you see Job as a pawn in a chess game, you have misunderstood Job. I feel Job was the queen piece on the board. God presented to Satan. Satan, have you thought about this guy? Because that was God's marine, his, his ranger, his army. Job was there. Now the cool thing is, even though Job was that guy, how cool is it that God brought him into a deeper relationship with him through it? So the point is this. The point is this. Remember God's in control. When you're going through crazy times, hardships, remember that. The last one. Don't forget God is good. I work with teens. Teens struggle with anxiety and fear. And the two things I try to just, just teach them and grind into them is, look, whatever life is feeling like, whatever your feelings are telling you, don't forget God is in control. He has not lost it. He is not fumbling it. He's, he's working Two, he's, he has not ceased to be good. He's still as good as ever. My situations, best day, worst day, do not alter God's goodness. So let me get us to verse uh, chapter 42 again, verse 10. Please read along with me because this is a really good, I would say this is a golden nugget to end on. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone he had known uh, had known him before came and ate with him at his house. They comforted him and consoled with him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. Real quick side note, real quick side note. Don't forget that every word of scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking. When I used to read through those lists, and I'd say, God, why are you telling me how many? Here's why. He gives us a math problem at the end of Job to give us assurance. He doubled it. Now, when I'm teaching this with the junior high and the high schoolers, I always put this next slide up here. And I say, what's the problem? God said he doubled it. What's that slide say? The sheep, we can do that math, right? He doubled it times two. The camels times two. The yoke of oxen times two. The donkeys times two. But then we get to the sons and the daughters. And I always ask my teens, I say, well, what happened there? What happened there? I bet a lot of my teens could tell you because I've taught this to them. Can I help you with God's math real quick? Job will never see the camels again. He'll never see the donkeys again, the oxen again, the sheep again. From the study of this, this is Job's family. He has 14 sons and six daughters. Seven of those sons are in heaven. Three of those daughters are in heaven, but he still has them. Seven were blessed with him in the later part of his life, and he has them on earth now. But do you see there? It's not about multiplication at this point with the sons and daughters. It's about addition. He still has the seven. God was good in this. It sure looks like from the text, those kids all knew 
Job's God was their God as well. Are you with me, church? I could ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna. But a lot of you, most of you, have been through stuff. Some of you, many of first service, are going through stuff. Some of you, it's tonight. It's next month. I'm just telling you, these are things to hang on to. Those last two, God is still in control. He is always good. Don't lose those. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to invite you to do something. We're going to close with the song, Blessed Be Your Name. And I want to ask that you just put off any thoughts of lunch or tonight or tomorrow. And I just want you to kind of go into your vault. And maybe you've got a hurt that you have, a pain. Something that you haven't dealt with yet. Or maybe you've dealt with it halfway. But if there's something that's in there, it's a scar. I want to challenge you to, almost like if you were to open some files on your computer and bring that up. Bring that up. And bring it to this time of worship. And lay it before God. Is that cool for me to ask of you? Let's do that. Let's stand. And we'll close with a time of worship. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.